open our Bibles, please, to Psalm 86. Psalm 86, we're continuing our study about uh, Unite My Heart to Fear Thy Name. And uh, this word, as far as I know, uh, is only in the Bible one time. Uh, there are other forms of the word, uh, unity and things like that, but... Uh, unite my heart. This is really, really important truth about knowing ourself. So, too many times we blame our problems on other people. You did that. You said that. Why do you feel that way? And uh, in order to truly know someone else, you must first know yourself. So if, if I were to ask you, what is the most important relationship in your life? Probably most Christians would say with God. So I'd say with God, then with my family, church, something like that. Uh, the reality is you need to get to know you. You're made in His image. And, and as you know God, you get to know yourself. And uh, he will reveal these things to you. And then once you are one with yourself, then you can be one with uh, the church and uh, your family and in other aspects of life. So let's look at this. Psalm 86, verse 1. Bow down, bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer and attend uh, to the voice of my supplication. In the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great, and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. So look beginning in verse 11. He says, teach me thy way, O Lord, and I will walk in thy truth. So first we ask God to teach us the way. Second, unite my heart to fear thy name. So this means that our heart is composed of multiple parts or facets. Then he says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with uh, my God, with my whole heart. So this is the way we walk in the way. We have to have our heart united to fear His name so we can praise Him with all my heart. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we pray that you bless the study. We pray that you deal with us uh, individually. Help us to look in the mirror, so to speak. 
Do we know ourselves? Are we one with ourselves? Are we united? Or could it be that we are splintered, fractured? There's a division, not with other people, but with ourselves. We're torn and pulled in different directions. We pray that we would have the awareness to see how this applies and the will and the power by thy spirit to steward wisely and that you would unite our heart to fear thy name that we could walk in the way of truth and praise thy name with all of our heart and we ask these things in uh, jesus name amen give you a very short review uh, just real quick so david is humbling himself he's very desperate he has a lot of trouble at this time in his life he asked god to preserve his soul he said when well, in the day of my trouble i will call upon god he says that he was in the lowest hell in verse 13. He's under attack from violent men who seek after his soul. He even is talking about the gods uh, and praising the Lord and telling God that he is the one true God uh, that is greater than all the gods. And he talks about the wicked nations. So not only there were wicked men against him, there were wicked kings against him, there were wicked armies against him, there were wicked peoples, cultures, had a false religion. And so David, he knows, a man after God's own heart, I need a pure motive, I need to be complete in my walk with God, love for God, service for God. If I'm going to know the truth and walk in it, if I'm going to fear God's name, I have to have my heart united. And if I'm going to be true and give God what he deserves, our whole heart, not part of it. Uh, how would you feel, you know, you're dating hot and heavy and... Uh, it's coming up to the time of uh, proposal, very intimate, and uh, he gets on his knee and uh, he pulls out the ring and he says, I love you, about 25% of my heart, mm, maybe 23. I love you, eh, sometimes. I love you with eh, maybe 72.5%. Uh, what would you think? Uh, I don't think that would go over very well. You, you want somebody to love you with all of their heart. God wants us to love him with all of our heart. So based on this truth, the heart is multifaceted. It can be divided against itself. It can be torn. Uh, you know, sometimes you want to stay. Sometimes you want to go. Sometimes you feel one thing. Sometimes you're thinking something totally different. And a big part of hypocrisy is where... The inside doesn't match the outside, obviously. So you feel one thing, say something else. Uh, 
You're thinking one thing, feeling something different, saying something else for the wrong reason. Um, so if we're going to be true and honest, we have to be united. We have to have our heart kept. We have to guard over our own heart to protect our own heart because we fight the battle on three fronts. Uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the world is doing everything it can to get us to love it. And if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And Satan is the God of this world who hath blinded those spiritually with cataract that they would not believe the gospel and the light would shine into their life. The world wants us to love it. So this is what spiritual adultery is. Just as if someone would cheat on their spouse physically. Maybe they would flirt. And flirting is just as bad. You know, I... Um, if a man could go flirt with the waitress when he's married, he's a cheater in his heart. You are corrupt. You don't love your wife. You don't know what love is. Uh, and a lot of men do that. And they say one thing. They live another. So God wants us to be true to Him, all parts of our heart to become one, united for what purpose? To fear God. And what else? Praise God and to walk in the truth. This is the way. Walk ye in it. So we can understand a divided family, arguments, bickering, division, splitting apart. We've all seen that in, in many different ways. Maybe you're bigger family, maybe your closer family. Uh, we, we've seen that in churches where there's cliques in the church, different peoples that, you know, get along and they like each other better than other people, uh, you know, and they talk about it, things like that. On a team, you know, they talk about locker room. There's turmoil in the locker room. Uh, the team can't get along with each other. So then when they go out on the field, there's no real unified push to win the game. We've seen this in businesses. Uh, America is totally divided right now politically. Absolute uh, political division. Total, two different ways of thinking, and it, it's a type of uh, religion. So, we can understand that. What I want us to think about tonight is our own heart can be torn against itself. And so, the Bible, we know God hates those that sow discord among the brethren. God does not like a schism in the body. He does not want envy, jealousy that brings a division. No bitterness, no competition, no comparison, no resentment or animosity toward other believers in the body of Christ. And so God wants us to be uh, one. And so what does the Bible say? How good and how pleasant it was. 
for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It was like the anointing oil when it was poured on the head of Aaron, the priest. And the olive oil ran down. It got all over his head and his face and it trickled down his beard. And we know that the olive oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. So we can understand this. We need to work on this. You know, you need to ask yourself, are you at one with other members in the church? Or do you have some selfish agenda? Once we understand that, we need to ask ourselves, am I at one with myself? The way God made me. So I'm going to make some statements. We're going to look at this in the overview. Statement number one. The heart consists of seven different parts. Your heart is not just what you feel with. Now it is the center, we looked at this, of our life. It's in the center of our body, the center of our chest. And, and, but it's way more than the seat of affections, as many people um, limit it to that. So these seven parts have to be united. Only God can uni unite our heart. Only God. Uh, your heart can deceive itself. Your heart can turn on other parts of the heart. Your heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? So if David had to pray this, we do too. All right, so I'm just going to give you the overview. You can write these verses down. I'm not going to have you turn to it. The first part of your heart is your will, your volition. The part of your life that you make decisions with, that's one part of your heart. So in Exodus chapter 35, verse 22, it says they were willing hearted. I want to do this. Not because I have to. I want to do this. The commandments of the Lord are what? Not grievous. See, a lot of people do the right thing because they think they are supposed to. They do the right thing because if they don't, there will be repercussion. If they don't, something bad may happen consequentially. Uh, people are watching. God wants us to do the right thing because we want to do the right thing. It's a privilege uh, you know, did you have to come to church tonight? Or did you get to come to church tonight? I mean, face the facts. Did, are you here because you, God let you and you wanted to come? Or did you come to church because you had to? Because somebody may think you're backslidden if you didn't. Now, there is a reason we labor to be accepted of him and the other members in the body. And, and so remember, feelings come and go. We live by duty. There's going to come the time. I do what I have to do whether I feel like it or not. Right? But we want to be willing-hearted. You know, like when the wife has the honeydews, and boy, there's a lot of them sometimes, and you're going, honey, please don't on the honeydews. And then 
you'll say, and I want to do this. This is something you want me to do. I love you. I want to do this for you. Why? I love you. And then sometimes you go, oh, well, I guess if I have to, I guess, you know, and, and we all have these different percentages, if you will. But God wants us to be willing hearted, willing. I want to do it. All right. Number two, the mind. Famous verse. We quote it a lot. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is a sharp two-edged sword piercing to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and is a discerner of what? Uh, the, the joints and the marrow of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So your heart has cogitations, thoughts. Now, this is deep for some people, but so you have rational, logical thoughts with your, what we would call the brain, your thinking, right? So in your consciousness, as a soul, creating the image of God, a man, you can choose what to think about. You, I will think about this. I will not think about that. I will meditate on the word day and night uh, and whatever it is. But the heart has what I call its own thoughts, cogitations. Now, you say, can you give me an example? Well, I'll try. This is difficult to explain, but we, we've all, you can relate because we're all, Men create the image of God. When something just comes in, you know, you're thinking about something, and then something just pops into your head, that's your heart thinking. Uh, when something comes in that you didn't plan on thinking about it, and it just enters in, that's the cogitation of your heart. And sometimes your heart will deceive you. Sometimes it'll bring up a bad subject. And so you have free will to decide what to think about. When the heart cogitates, you have to ask yourself, should I continue with this? Should I embrace what just came in? Or should I recognize this as a self-deception and let it go? So we use the term embrace. Yes, I'll hold on to that. I, yeah, I'll let, or no, I'm not, uh, I'm letting that one go. We've all, th you say, why did I think that? You know, you can, and I know it happens. You're sitting here in church, hearing a Bible study, and your heart will pop in something absolutely ridiculous or absolutely sinful. And a lot of times, it doesn't even make any sense. And a lot of times, um, so all these other parts of you are working together. So you may think, well, I don't think that person over there likes me. Well, where'd that come from? Did it just pop in? Do you have a reason? Is it a justified reason? Or do you have low self-esteem? Or do you live in fear and you don't know God and so your heart's lying to you because you have to get your heart unified to really know yourself to um, serve God. So 
you know, like when, when I'm playing the piano over there, and I had a rough time on a few of those tonight, if, I, if I'm not looking at that note and just, and if for whatever reason, if I drift or I, I lose discipline, sometimes it's hard for me to come right back to where I was. Um, so the heart does that to us. I told you the story. Uh, on a, we used to live on a ranch up by Reagan Wells. There was a huge bluff. The Indians did ceremonies on the top. We found evidence of making arrowheads and things. There was a rock shelter just below that. Uh, a lot of artifacts were in there. And uh, it was straight down. You know, if, if you fell, you're dead. There's, I mean, without an angel catching you, I mean, you're falling as 100, I don't know how far, 100 feet to your death on the limestone boulders. And we would take people up there because it's very beautiful, picturesque. People would like to go. It's a small hike. And people would get there, you know, and they'd get right here. And I'd say, don't get too close. Yeah. I'd say, you know, I, I would just, I'd take a couple steps back. So one time we were there, and this, there was people in front, and this Christian lady later on told me, something told me to push them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, push them. And uh, she goes, I'm not a murderer. I love people. I do not know where that came from. And I said, well, it came out of your heart. It's in there, um, you know, the cogitation. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak. It's what you say. But also, notice, that's why you hide the word in your heart. Why? That you might not sin against God. Not hide it in your head. Hide it in your heart. Why? Because the heart is going to bring things up. It's going to bring things up. And so you need as much Bible in there as you can because you don't know what's going to bring you know, some weird fantasy. Uh, I was never really affected by that uh, alkaline water very much, dream water, I think it's called. I think it's called dream tree. But sometimes it can take, and people have told me this, It'll just take the weirdest things that have happened in your life and make up the dumbest story. You know, and, and you'll say, where, I'm not, I'm not a weirdo. You are on that stuff. Um, but, you know, a purple elephant with green polka dots with uh, a clown and you're in a traffic jam and somebody's yelling at you. And, you know, what is this? Uh, it's in there somewhere. So the heart can take things of all the experiences of your life, everything you've ever seen, everything you've ever heard, every, everything you've ever experienced. And it can, it has these thoughts of its own. So we need that unified. All right, the next thing, motives. Same verse, Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God pierces to the dividing asunder and is a discerner of what? The thoughts and the intents of the heart. So this is a very, very important one. Your motives. Why you do what you do. So 
a lot of us think we know our motive, and probably most of the time we do. But sad to say, sometimes we do things for the wrong reason. And we thought we did it for another reason. But the more you learn of yourself and your heart is unified, you realize that's the wrong reason. I And then you, you have the right motive. So there's no hidden agenda. So sometimes people will purposely put on a show to try to convince other people that they're doing something for a certain reason. And then sometimes your heart will deceive you that you're doing something for a certain reason when it's something totally different. So God wants us to love him with what? Unite my heart. All these parts. I want to serve God. I'm willing hearted. I... My mind is right, and my thoughts are right, and my motives are pure. Um, how many times have we said we want God to get the glory, but really we wanted some glory? You know, and we're all guilty of this. Nobody said thank you. Nobody gave me a pat on the back. And they should have. And that's their fault. They were ungrateful. They were not aware. They didn't recognize your hard work or your contribution. But are we doing this for God? Are we doing this for people? So remember the Pharisees, the most religious people in Israel, they were indicted by Jesus Christ and Paul, the apostle, because they would wear, make their big phylacteries and wear the big robes and for pretense make long prayers in public. Oh, I'm so, oh Holy Father, I'm so spiritual. You know, and they were doing it for the wrong reason. And so this, here's the fearful thing. It's not enough to do the right thing. You have to do it for the right reason or you're not getting a reward. This is why our works will be tried by fire at the judgment seat of Christ. Were, our, the, were we willing hearted or did we just fake it? Did we have our thoughts of our heart where we hid the word in our heart, where we were meditating day and night? Where a Bible verse would come up, not some weird fantasy. You know, look what happened in Genesis. It says that the imagination of the hearts of men was only evil continually. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Most people are living in a dream world. They're daydreaming. They're undisciplined. They're not meditating. And their thoughts are wrong. And then, sad to say, most people, their intents are not right. There's some selfishness deep within. All right, the next one, number four. And we'll probably have to quit. We're going to run out of time. We'll finish next. Uh, we'll continue, Lord willing, next time. The conscience. The conscience, Hebrews 10.22 says their hearts were sprinkled from an evil conscience by the blood of Christ. That the blood of Christ, when it gets applied, it cleanses our conscience 
And there's a powerful work of God that turns us from dead works to serve God. Now, this is very revealing. Why is it that so many people make a false profession? Pray the sinner's prayer, may even sign a card, come, may even get baptized. No change in their life. You know why? They didn't get the blood applied. Because if you get the blood applied, your conscience, what is tells you right from wrong, will get sprinkled. And it says it will miraculously turn you from dead works to serve the living and true God. So the conscience, what does it mean? Awareness, right? But technically in this passage, it means to prick or convict of sin. In other words, if it's to know, right, knowledge, to know what? Good from evil. To know right from wrong. To know righteousness or sin. So we have to have our heart get right in the conscience. So the conscience is a gift of God. You know, if you feel guilty, you ought to praise the Lord. Now, you don't live in guilt. There's only one reason to feel guilty. To realize you've sinned, confess it, repent. If you continue in guilt, that's called a guilt trip, and the devil is heaping it on. And what does it say in 1 John 3? Our own heart will condemn us. Our own heart condemns us. How? From a guilty conscience. This goes along with number four. So, sometimes you feel things that are not even right. I, we all the time. You know, sometimes you'll feel good when you shouldn't should feel bad, and sometimes you'll feel bad when you should feel good. We don't live by feelings. But your conscience is a gift of God. So what does the Bible say about those who are judged? They have a seared conscience. It has been put the poker or the hot iron to it to where it doesn't work anymore. They can do horrible atrocities and don't even feel bad. They can cheat, lie, steal, kill, steal from God, disobey God, backslide, go off into the world. They don't even see, see anything wrong with it. You know why? Their conscience is not unified to fear God's name. So that's very important. All of these are absolutely crucial in how God made us. And we need to pray like David Unite my heart to fear thy name. So we've looked at so far. Are we willing hearted? What about the thoughts and cogitations of our heart? What about our motives? The intent. Why do we do what we do? And then lastly, number four, our conscience. Do we even know what's right or wrong? Do you even care what's right or wrong? Do you even do something when God brings you under conviction of the Holy Spirit? And what, did, what does it say, uh, Acts, I believe it's 9, when Saul got saved, became the Apostle Paul? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So the conscience gets pricked. Doesn't feel good. But you know what the Bible says? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. 
A true friend will tell you the truth because you got to die and face God one day and it's going to prick. It's not going to be fun. You know, reading the Bible is not supposed to be fun. It's studying and hearing preaching and having a true friend that sticketh closer than a brother does not necessarily mean it's all going to be enjoyable. You may get convicted. Hopefully, you know, that's the goal. So the pricking of the Holy Spirit is likened to an ox goad. And I'll finish with this. So when the farmer was farming, he, the, the uh, ox was hooked up to the plow. The farmer had a long pole with a sharp point on it. And the Spanish were really good at this. They would ham hock the bulls down in the brush country in the Nueces Strip. And they would also have an ox goad. And if that, you know, that ox start kicking, you know, he didn't want to do it. They would just stick him with that thing right in the ham hock. And, um, and what did, that's what Paul was doing, kicking against God. He was under heavy conviction. He was, he was getting legal documents to arrest more Christians, to put them in jail and put them to death. He said, Saul, Saul. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You know, if you get under conviction, it hurts, but you ought to be thankful. You know why? The devil in the world wants you to have a seared conscience where you don't feel bad about anything. And as a matter of fact, you feel good about doing bad. So the heart consists of several components, Lord willing. Next time we'll pick up with number five. And uh, let's think about this. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Amen. All right, let's stand.